Well, if you have a Bible with you, open it up to Psalm 93. You received some message notes on the way in the door. Welcome to all those joining us online as well. Your online host can direct you how to get those notes electronically. You can download our app. You can get them electronically that way as well. So here's our commitment um, as a teaching team, whether it's myself who's bringing a message or it's any other member of our teaching team who speaks, our commitment is this, to do our best to cultivate the kind of life that listens and pays attention to God and then to represent his word to you that we feel like God would want spoken on any given Sunday. Sometimes in our preparation and planning, God decides, you know what, what you thought you were going to speak on was this. And then the commitment that I have and that we have is he always has the editing privileges and he gets the last word. Sometimes what we plan and prepare for, he's got something else he wants to insert. That's this morning for you. So I had something else all prepared and planned to bring for this particular Sunday, but I couldn't shake what I sensed was a leading from God. And I don't know, maybe the Lord brought just one person here or someone joining us online simply to reflect on a word from Psalm 93 centered on this. The question is this, what is your anchor? What holds you firm and secure? What's going to steady you in the midst of all that comes at you in life? Because it seems as if the longer I live, the more I realize how much I don't know. Has anybody else been there? The longer I live, like when I was in my teens and 20s, I was pretty confident in what I knew. And then I got into my 30s, 40s, and now 50, and I'm more convinced than ever that I don't know. Like, I don't know. Anybody else? But here's what Psalm 93, here's kind of the one-sentence summary of where we're going today that we're going to anchor ourselves to what we do know. There are some things we do know. What we do know while we're honest and journey through what we don't. Here's a whole bunch of stuff I don't know. Like looking at some of you this morning, I, I don't know why that loved one was taken from you in the time and in the way they were whisked away from your life. I don't know. I don't know why that addiction that you've been battling for so long, that you've been calling out to God for a breakthrough, I don't know why he hasn't more swiftly freed you from that. I don't know. I don't know why that job was just kind of pulled out from under you and left you in your current set. I, I don't know. I don't know why that specific prayer that you've been laying before the Lord, you fill it in, you've been praying for blank, and yet today you continue to sit in waiting and wondering, is God inattentive and unresponsive to that prayer? What's going on? I don't know. I don't know why. And maybe, maybe, you have, maybe you're living an I don't know why week. Maybe you've been praying your own I don't know why prayers. Maybe you're living an I don't know why month. Maybe that's a commentary on your year. Or maybe that's a commentary in a good portion of your life is the I don't know. I don't know why. Well, welcome to Psalm 93 because we're going to declare Psalm 93 as an anchor psalm. We need something to anchor us, to hold us firm, to hold us steady that has a weight to it. 
And this is the beginning of the psalm, so he lays all his cards on the table with his opening words. So check it out here. Psalm 93, verse 1 says it this way. The Lord reigns. The Hebrew for that is Yahweh Malak. You're going to speak a little Hebrew today. Say Yahweh Malak. Say it again. Yahweh Malak. That means the Lord. Yahweh is the word for the Lord. Malak is the word for reigns. We'll come back to that in a minute. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and is armed with strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. So the psalmist starts with, here's what I do know. Yahweh Malak. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. And it's always been that way. Yahweh Malak. That's an anchor right there. And the word reigns, I put in your notes there, it literally means this. It means to have dominion over, to rule, to be king. Now hear this. The psalmist is declaring something that God, simply by being God, reigns. Like God, just being in his character, in his nature, in his attributes, can do nothing less than reign and rule over all that is. He has been, is today, and will forever be the God of angel armies, the God who said, let there be light, and there was light, the God who breathed life into mankind. That God, by simply being God, reigns. That's Yahweh Malak. And that's an anchor. That's what we're going to hold on to. We're going to tether ourselves to that. Because in a moment, we're going to come up against a bunch of stuff we don't, we don't know what to do with. And the psalmist is going to be honest about it. But as humans, we struggle, right? The record of this book is a commentary on humanity's struggle with Yahweh Malak. There's a lot of I Malak going on. Anybody else? I'm a lock. I, I reign. I rule. I call the shots. I decide. At the end of the day, it's I'm a lock. I struggle with that. I think the human condition struggles with that. The commentary on this book is, and I just put a few. We're just going to take a little brief reminder of some biblical history here on some who struggled with I'm a lock. Do you remember the era of God's people when it was Pharaoh Malak? Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, I mean, if you were around during the period of time when Pharaoh was at the zenith of his power, nothing happened in that sphere of the world that Pharaoh didn't decide. The Pharaoh decided, and what he said, that's the way it went. And if you wanted anything done, it ran through Pharaoh's desk. It was Pharaoh Malak. No question about it. He enslaved all of God's people, the Israelites, for 400 years. Why? Because he's going to build Pharaoh's kingdom. Massive slave labor, over a million laborers. But then, for those of you familiar with your biblical history, God said, I'm going to free my people. And after 10 plagues, he had to loosen his grip 10 times. Pharaoh decides to let the Israelites go. But then he says, oh, no, I, I say, no, no I'm going to go back after him. So the Israelites are trying to exit Egypt and Pharaoh decides, no, I want them back. And this is the passage I'm going to read to you. This is Exodus 14, verse 23 and following. The Egyptians pursued the Israelites. 
And all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. Now, you need to think hundreds and thousands when you see that. That's not just like a little army there. It's a massive army coming after them. Verse 24, during the last watch of the night, underline this in your Bibles or on your notes, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire. Now, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. No one looked down on Pharaoh in Egypt that day. Everybody looked up, except one. See, Pharaoh's used to everybody looking up to him, bowing before him. Nothing happened that didn't go through Pharaoh's reign and rule. It was Pharaoh Malak. It was I Malak until Yahweh Malak steps in. The Lord looks down on Pharaoh, looks down. And what does he do? Pharaoh thinks he's running the show? I don't think so now. From the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. How about that scene? How does that work? Just threw the whole army into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off. That would be a bad day if you were on the, I mean, they're just, they're cruising down. All of a sudden, the wheels just start flying off. Can you picture the generals who've done hundreds and hundreds of these runs? And then he's like, General, what's going on? The wheels are falling off these chariots. And here's their commentary. They had a difficulty driving, I imagine so. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. Look what they say. The Lord, same word, Yahweh is fighting for them against Egypt. So here's a picture, Exodus 14. Pharaoh Malak bows before the majesty of Yahweh Malak right here. Yahweh Malak. Here's what we do know. The Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. He's armed with strength. It's always been that way. Even during the Imalak seasons and the Pharaoh Malak seasons, Pharaoh thought he was running the show until the Lord looks down and says, let me remind you, by the way, the definition of sovereignty is there can only be one capital S sovereign Lord. Think about that. There can only be one capital S. Whole bunch of trying to work with the small S's, only one. And then a few hundred years goes by and another guy steps on the scene named Nebuchadnezzar. It was Nebuchadnezzar Malak for a long period of time. He was the king of Babylon. He was such a massive empire that Saddam Hussein, modern-day Saddam Hussein, yes, rebuilt his palace in kind of the same general area and by the specifications to mirror Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because it was Nebuchadnezzar Malak. It was everybody bowing to the reign and rule of Babylon, and the king decided everything. If you wanted something dumb, you bowed at Nebuchadnezzar. He built massive statutes to honor what him and his kingdom stood for. It was everything about Babylon back then, and to the point where they drafted in the cream of the crop from the Israelites. And those of you who know your Bible know this is Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they draft them in because they're leaders and they're influential and they're good and they're sharp. And so Nebuchadnezzar was a smart guy. He said, hey, take the cream of the crop from the Israelites, school them in the Babylonian way, and then deploy them to influence the rest of the Israelites. This is that guy, Nebuchadnezzar Malak. And then here, here, here's the scene, Daniel 4. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Now, you need to think massive structure. You need to think multiple White Houses with rooftop terraces. That's how you need to think in your head right now. He's strolling around on that. And he says, is this not the great circle I, the great Babylon I have built 
as the royal residence by my mighty power, for the glory of my majesty. Is there any question at all? Is it I, Malak? Huh? It's Nebuchadnezzar, Malak. Nebuchadnezzar's life is bounded on four sides by Nebuchadnezzar. No question about it. Hmm? Look, verse 31. The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. Uh Uh-oh. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Nobody takes anything from the Babylonians. They took everything from everyone except this. Yahweh Malak stands in, right? Yahweh Malak says to Nebuchadnezzar Malak, checkmate, you're done. My sovereign over your sovereign. You think it's I, Malak. It's Yahweh Malak. There is one Lord reigning. Look how the story ends for him. It's not so good. You will be driven away from the people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. That's a long way from the White House. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge, look, that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Oops. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's deciding, and he gets a word from heaven, and right here, right? So Nebuchadnezzar, Malak, he buckles under the weight of the glory of Yahweh, Malak, right there. Pharaoh Malak, Nebuchadnezzar Malak, no, Yahweh Malak. And then fast forward a few hundred more years, lest we think this kind of gets worked out of the human race, right? Humanity is just a commentary on this I Malak pattern, right? In the New Testament, Jesus enters on the scene in the environment of what? Caesar Malak, Rome. Students, those of you going through your world history, you know all about this, right? Rome at its zenith, it's hard to put into a category the spans of control and power that the Roman Empire had. 4,200 miles it covered. The United States is 3,300 miles at its widest point. Rome's empire from India to England. Put that in next time. Hey, Google that one. Geography map, go India to England, put Roman Empire, 4,200 miles. Get this, for 1,500 years. How old's our country? We just celebrated our 243rd anniversary. 1,500 years it was Rome. It was Caesar Malak. It was Rome doing whatever Rome wanted to do. Rome positioned themselves to be the light of the world. Rome positioned to be the keeper of peace. Rome positioned to be the hope for all humanity. It was the Roman Empire of which Caesar Malak was controlling the whole scene. For 1,500 years, Rome was all until, stay with me now, until that day, which next month we're going to come to and celebrate, that day on the outskirts of Bethlehem, When a young couple named Mary and Joseph, when she goes into labor and gives birth to a child, (laughs) oh boy, and then all of a sudden, the pillars of the Roman Empire began to quake because 33 years later, this Jesus who was born on the outskirts in complete obscurity, he's going to grow up 
and he's going to grow up and claim the Messiah, the King of the Jews, and they're going to crucify him because they know what he's claiming. Jesus, the one who has the sovereign authority to say, I'm a lock. The one who's going to say, I'm a lock. We're going to kill you, I'm a lock. Caesar's like, no, I'm I'm a lock, kills Jesus, puts him in the tomb. Uh Uh-oh. But then what happens? We know this church, right? In a few months, we get to celebrate it, right? Friday looked bad. Saturday looked worse. Sunday's coming. And then that stone began to shake, and the angels came, and Jesus walked out of the grave, and so you're like, uh-oh. Remember how he guarded the tomb? Two Roman guards. Remember what he sealed it with? Caesar's seal. I think the Lord enjoyed that moment. I think he enjoyed it. 1,500 years, you think you're running the show? Put your Roman guards there. He sends an angel from heaven. Bright lights. The guards stumble back to their authority with all the news about what happened, and the best they could come up with was come up with some type of a bribe scheme to shut them all down. They couldn't deny this, that Jesus of Nazareth, who was dead and in the tomb, is now alive again. So Caesar Malach, you cave under the sovereign authority of Yahweh Malach. And next month, gang, I love Advent season so much for so many reasons, but when we gather on Christmas Eve, and I hope you're planning on being here and bringing a whole host of your friends with us, and we come to that favorite moment, my wife says, favorite moment the entire year for her worshiping with all of you, when the candles are lit in the name, not of Herod, not of Pontius Pilate, not of Caesar, not of Nebuchadnezzar, not a Pharaoh, nobody's gathering in their names, lighting candles to remember them. But on December 24th, that evening, two billion people in 190 nations light the candle to say what? Yahweh Malach, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established, it can't be moved. His throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. You're clothed with strength, you're armed with splendor, and it's always been this way. It's not just was this way, is this way, will forever be this way. And church, I leave before you this morning, that is an anchor. That is an anchor that is firm and secure that will hold you steady. Yahweh Malak. But what about? That's what the psalm, what, what, what about? He comes to this day. But what about? Here's the, here's the part, right? Verse 3. Here's the next part of the psalm. The seas have lifted up, O Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Look at that. Three times. We'll come back to that. Three times he says seas lifted up. In the Old Testament, seas represented chaos, confusion, disorder. When things become a complete mess, if you've been on the open waters and you've been around large waves, even on large vessels, you find out what that psalm's referring to, right? You've seen some of the images, right, where these massive cruise ships get into the middle of a storm, and all of a sudden that cruise ship, it looks like a toy boat. The thing's just being flipped off. That's this. Seas lifting up their voice. When chaos and confusion and disorder and the unexpected are thrust upon you, what are you going to hold on to? It was this past summer, late July, some friends that allowed us to borrow their boat, because we just loved, we, my brother and I, my brother's here today from Iowa, and we just had so many great memories growing up together, on the water, on the lake, and so it was one of those days, take the girls out, they brought friends, so it was Kendra and I, and 
four teenage girls in the boat and pulled them around skiing and tubing all day long. And this thing was rising up in dad all day long. Like, I'm going to go 19 on this story. I'm going to go back to 19. I'm, I'm strapping those skis on. I'm going to strap them on. I just felt it. It was rising up all day. Kendra was talking me off the ledge all day until it came later in the afternoon. I said, honey, I just need you to get behind the driver's wheel of this boat. I set the speed just where she set it. Go straight as an arrow because I know about the size of the wake. It's going to be a certain way. Because I, I haven't always been a great skier, but I've always been a pretty stupid skier, like idiotic skier, you know, where you just kind of pull hard and go way outside the wake. And Brad, you remember those, right? You just pull hard, you get as hard, and then you just try to turn 90 degrees as best you can back into the wake. And, and my plan was, man, I'm going, I'm all in. Like, I'm going full on. I'm going to get both skis out of the water and jump 19 years old. That's what I was feeling like when I, okay. Well, the teenagers in the boat decided to pull out their phones for this moment. And you get to see what happens. I mean, I'm digging hard now. Come on. I'm digging. Right here, I'm feeling really good. Go, go, go. Go, 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 Lily says. Oh. Oh. Next slide there, Ted Forrest. Can you just put the still shot? Okay. Right there. I just captured a few still shots out of there, okay? I, I feel like, soak it in for a moment, okay? Now, this is the seas lifting up their voice in Papa Simp's life right here. Papa Simp was planning on going Papa Ski Jumper until the seas lifted up their voice. But I feel like, those, I, I cropped those three shots. I feel like in life, we can put ourselves in one of those three frames, Somewhere in our life, like, I think all of it, like, that middle one, I was feeling pretty good. Like, those stretches of your life where you kind of plan out and envision and you kind of mapped out how something's going to go, like, right there, I'm feeling pretty good. I, I, hit, I hit the wave just about right. Bro, that's not bad, right? I got, I got my skis clear. I'm feeling pretty good, right? Anybody there in that? You might be in that spot in your life right now. I'm feeling I'm a lock right there. I got this. But then somewhere on the left-hand side, somewhere in the middle of the air, I remember having this thought like, uh-oh. Anybody there? Like you, you thought, I, I got this, and then you, you launch, and then uh-oh. Like I remember up in the air, and I remember kind of getting high-centered, and my weight's going forward, right? Right, right there's my, and I feel like, you see, I let go of the rope. That's, all. <laughs> That's the experience right there, because I had too many times where I forgot to let go of the rope. But right there, I let go of the rope, because I went from, I got this, to uh-oh, to church, I don't know how to describe to you the impact, but when I hit, my skis went immediately under the water, and just like the, they just went like, boom, boom. And I remember Lily and Kaylin and their friends saying, Dad, we heard your body hit the water. It sounded so bad. Well, now this is true confession here, okay? I blacked out. I should have been in concussion protocol for a minimum of two weeks on this deal. Like, I mean, I blacked out. So I hit the water. I just black out. I probably two, three seconds, I think, and think my life vest kind of flip, you know, I'm up, and I kind of come to, right? And we're supposed to, like, wave our arms to the boat driver, like, to let you know you're okay. That's kind of our little. I couldn't find my arm. Like, I was just laying there. I'm like, okay, where am I? 
and like looking up, breathe, 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 and then I'm just kind of moving my, arm, my limbs to see if everything still works, right? About this time, the boat pulls up, and Kendra gives me that look. Men, you know the look. <laughs> it was the, you better be okay. Anybody, men, you've been there where you're like, you know, maybe you're in your 50s too, and you decide you're going to try to be 18 at one moment, and then your wife's been trying to talk you out of it, and then all of a sudden... I just said, give me a minute. I just said, give me a minute. <laughs> give me a minute. In her head, she's like, I don't know how to, like, I don't know how to get the boat out of the water. I can't pull it out. Like, girls, we might have to, like, lift that out of the water. So just give me a minute. Give me a minute. For me, that's become a visual for the seas lifting up their voice. And I can't help but think about how many times in our life when we hit that third frame and we fall flat on our face. You're going you're gonna to need something when you hit that. Thankfully, I didn't have a literal anchor there, like, right? That would have been bad, but the metaphor works this way, right? I did have a life vest on, and I was really glad I was strapped to something. So when you hit verse 3 in this psalm, you're going to be ready for verse 4. Look at verse 4. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. What's ringing in your head right now? Three times the seas lift up their voice, verse three. Three times in verse four, what does it say? Mightier than the great waters. Mightier than the thunder. The Lord on high is mighty. Church, you're... You don't know how strong your anchor is until the seas lift up their voice. That's when you find out how strong your anchor is. You don't discover the Lord on high is mighty until you get to a place where you fall flat on your face in life and you recognize you're not so mighty after all. Right there, you're going to find out who's mighty. But if you're going to live I'm a lock in life, and you're going, I got this, I got this, I got this. I promise you the psalmist is saying there is a point coming when you don't have this, and the seas are going to lift up their voice, and the waves are going to pound away, and you might feel really good at the launch point. Somewhere in the middle of that air, you're going to get high-centered, and it's going to be uh-oh, and then you're going to face plant in life, and right there, you're going to find out how strong is your anchor, how firm, how secure is the Lord on high mighty. Do you see how the psalmist says like the waves and the seas and the uncertainty and the turmoil? Do you see how all of that can launch us toward God? I think someone brought, I think the Lord brought someone to church today to hear that very statement. Exactly whatever it is you're going through, the unimaginable, insurmountable, the I can't, I don't know why, this mountain you can't figure out, this I can't believe I'm going through it, that all that uncertainty, all that chaos, all that confusion, all of that turmoil right there, that right there, do you see this? The psalmist says right there are the ingredients to launch you towards God. Because in that, if you yield to that, you might face plant it might hurt a bit, but here's the deal. You're going to find out this. Yahweh Malak, the Lord on high is mighty. When you find out, yeah, you're not, 
nearly as mighty as you thought you were. You find out the one who is firmly in control when you grasp you're not nearly as in control as you thought you were. And some of you have been thrust into some stuff in your life, not at your own choosing. We don't get to choose the seas. The seas choose us. But if we'll stay with the psalmist here, we'll come to verse 4 and we'll experience something and part of your testimony. Some of you seated here today exactly have Psalm 90 verse, 93 verse 4 testimony. You in your life are living testimony to the Lord on high is mighty. But it came in the middle of the sea lifting up their voice. you find out your marriage isn't so mighty, you're going to find out the Lord on high is mighty. When you find out your job and career isn't so mighty, you're going to find out the Lord on high is mighty. When you find out your health and your body isn't so mighty, you're going to find out the Lord on high is mighty. You're going to find out. And this is how the psalm wraps up, verse 5. Your statutes stand firm. Does that harken back, it's back to verse 1, right? He's, he's Bookending the psalm with that. Your statutes stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days, O Lord. That phrase, holiness adorns your house, is a bit of a, it's kind of Bible speak for this. Eugene Peterson, I put this quote in your notes. This is how he unpacks that phrase. The means of God's rule are consistent with the ends of that rule. God doesn't set aside the robes of his holy love when he's working in the mud of human history. In other words, God's going to work with us in the seas, in the turmoil, in the mess, in consistent connection with his character and his attributes. You don't have to wait for the day when Yahweh Malak is occurring. Yahweh Malak is occurring right now. This is a declaration made in the middle of the flood. Huh? See, this whole psalm is a worship declaration in the middle of the flood. This is not a psalm for dry ground. This is a psalm when the seas lift up their voice. What's going to be your anchor? You declare Yahweh Malak in the middle of the flood. Because I suspect that's when your personal experience with Yahweh Malak goes to a whole new place. Because the psalmist clearly has been living through some pretty tough stretches to write words like this and to anchor himself this way and say, you know what? Here, here's what I, he says, here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. The Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty and he's armed with strength. And it's always been that way. Here's what I, I anchor myself there. But, but, but what I don't know is, I don't know about the seas. I don't know about the chaos. I don't know about the turmoil. But I'm going to anchor myself to what I do know while I journey through what I don't know. And from the middle of that flood, I'm going to experience and declare this, Yahweh Malach. One final story, and then I'm done. I read about the domino effect. Did you ever read about Lauren Whitehead's discovery of the two-inch domino effect? I think I put a picture in your notes there. It's a picture of him, I think, actually. In 1980s, he discovered this. A two-inch domino has the ability to knock over something one and a half times its size. This is the domino effect. So this can knock over something one and a half times its size. So in his studies, here's what he found. It can, so it says, by the time you get to the 18th domino, 
you can knock over the leaning tower of Pisa. By the time you get to the 23rd domino, you can knock over the Eiffel Tower. By the time you get to the 28th domino, you can take down the Empire State Building. It's the domino effect. I'm not making this up. You can go Google it and read all about it yourself. The domino effect. Lauren Whitehead, he discovered it. I don't know how he figured out it's going to knock those buildings down because they're all still standing, but physics says this. If this two-inch domino can go one and a half times its size, so hear this. Psalm 93, church, says this. Church, here's your two-inch domino. Yahweh, Malach, that's your two-inch domino. Because there's no lack of stuff in all of our lives, individually and collectively, that we need to see topple. Some of you carrying some really big stuff in here, and you know it needs to come down. Like you've got your own Empire State Building issue going on. And I think the Lord today wanted this planted firmly in your radar to say, you've got your two-inch domino. It's Psalm 93, and it starts with this, the Lord reigns. That's what you do know. And to ask yourself this question, could it be, could it be that the seas and the circumstances that have been thrust upon you, could it be the Lord coming for you in a way to say to you, the Lord, I am mighty. I'm going to show you. I'm going to draw near to you. I'm going to come through for you in ways you can't even imagine. And you just so want out of the circumstances, and I so empathize with that. When it gets so dark and so deep and so difficult, you just want out and you just want free. And right there, the Lord's saying, Yahweh Malak in the middle of that flood. Yahweh Malak. That's your two-inch domino. And you just stay firmly entrenched there. And I believe you will share a history with the Psalm 93 that says this, mightier than the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Because there's a whole bunch of stuff we don't know in this life. But here's what we do know. Yahweh Malak. And I'm going to anchor myself to what I do know while I journey through all this stuff that I don't know. And church, I believe that anchor will hold you firm and secure. Let's pray. Father, I believe that there are some folks here and some folks joining us in other settings all around the country, in living rooms or in cars or wherever they're at, that right now, I believe for such a time as this, to hear this word and this message and this psalm. You know exactly where each person is, individually and collectively. And now would you just come for us in a way, just breathe and demonstrate afresh all over again that you reign in the midst of all that we know is completely out of control. Help us to just take a collective deep breath in this, that you reign and would you show up in ways to get glory that just declares the Lord on high as mighty. And teach us as a congregation, teach us as followers of Jesus to worship, to pray, 
to trust, to obey, to go Psalm 93 right in the middle of the flood. That's our part. That's what we covenant to do with you. In Jesus' name.